Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser podcast. It's good to be back, not with the results and everything like that, but it's good to get back in action. I've been away for a little bit, running away there, running away here. Uh, not like Michael Martin marathon running, but more like, you know, uh, entertainment running. But uh, Gally is with us as always this week. Gally, what's happening? Uh, not too much. Just another week in paradise or miserable results. Yes, it was. That was the only part of coming back. I was like, I should have stayed on vacation because it was kind of like a non-Liverpool time for the most part. So it was fun. But no Bittler this week. He's in Boston causing havoc over there. So heads up if you're in the Boston area. Uh, but we have a more athletic and in-shape version in Michael Martin over here. Michael, what's going on, man? Hey, good evening. Hope everyone's doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, so... I know we kind of have to talk about the game and everything like that. I just did not want to focus too much on the game because, honestly, I don't know how much different it would be in terms of the contents we cover compared to the like the uh, Brantford game that you guys were talking about, Gally. It's almost like it almost looked like the same misery all over again. And I'll be honest, like I'm almost glad I wasn't on the pod. I hate to make negative predictions. But I would have probably would do a draw at best. And I really felt like it was a much harder matchup than anything else. Alan is with us as always. Alan, what's happening? Uh, but real quick, Gally, we'll start with you. Uh, like I say, I don't want to like analyze it too much, but is what do you make of the game overall? Hi, I mean, you can you can stop your blinking now. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna for for Alan's for the sake of Alan's health in Houston, I'm gonna try not to get angry. I'm not gonna turn green during this comment or blink once. I'm gonna actually look straight. Uh, no, it was it was frustrating. Um, I honestly would have rather been running a half a marathon, and I can't run from here to the mailbox. Um, than I would have watching that match. It was, it was painful, and I knew it was going to happen. I remember telling Kelly I went to a work meeting that morning, and I I actually thought I'd be a few minutes late. So I said, "You got to do me a favor. If I'm running late, get Peacock up and running." And she said, "Why?" I said, "Because it always takes two or three minutes to get the match going and get caught up." And I don't want to be down by one by the time the match starts because I actually expected to be losing in the first three minutes. When we got to 10 minutes, I thought we were doing really well, even though we hadn't possessed the ball yet in their half. Um, it was it was painful. We can talk a little bit about the players. I don't want to talk about the match specifically, but I think we should talk about the response. The way that they responded on the pitch, the way the players acted, I think that's worth talking about. I don't know that the actual tactics of the match are really worth talking about because they were basically a two. Yeah, Michael, so I know you were running the half marathon, right? And I heard at one point at halfway through, they were like, you can stop now and watch the game. And you were like, fuck that. I'm going to keep running. And you kept going. So what do you make of the game overall? I know you said like you didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I'm sure you've seen highlights and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I did. I, I caught some of it when I got back to the uh, to the uh, hotel. Um, streamed a little bit in the car on the way back. My wife was driving because I had no legs. Um, but um, you know, I the pieces that I saw um, just incredible gaps between our back four and our and what used to be known as our midfield. Um, but it's now more of our forefield or front field. I don't know what we'd call it right now, but just those big gaps that were very, very easy to um, exploit and just constantly putting our, our back four or back three, depending on how out of shape we were, um, in, in a really difficult position. Um, you know, I saw a lot of stuff after the game from players, you know, coming out and saying, not good enough, we will be better. And that's all great. I mean, but it's, it's kind of lit lip service at this point something is definitely broken um and and um you know i'll be darned if i know what it is i have my thoughts i'm sure jurgen has his thoughts and, and and fsg has their thoughts so um it's it was just it was a really painful painful watch it was dismal um brighton certainly deserved all three points 
um, based on Liverpool's performance. And the, the problem right now is with the short bench, with the injuries, what, what do you plug in to fix it? You know, what do you plug in? Jurgen's presser, somebody asked something about fresh legs, and he kind of just goes <laughs> – and just kind of grins a little bit because where, where are they? So a lot of challenges um, here uh, the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and that's the part I kind of like wanted to focus on. And I think it will eventually bring us to what you were talking about, Gally, in terms of like the reaction we saw from the players or lack thereof. And and I don't know, it's almost like it's impossible for everybody to be this bad or this poor form at the same time. But that's why this is a like a team sport. And really two, three people being off can really negatively affect everybody else and make them look off their game as well. Kind of like when a couple of people in form can kind of like elevate everybody else's play. So, so here's what I really wanted to do. Um, so Gally, I'm going to start with you on this one. Uh, I mean, online all week and honestly, heck not all this week, but the last couple of weeks, you see a lot of, and everybody, whatever their camp was, it feels like that's who they're supporting, right? I mean, if you were an FSGR person, now you climb out of your hole and you're like, hey, it's FSG's fault, they're not spending money. Uh, if you're already not happy with Klopp, you go after Klopp, some people go after players and stuff like that. And I think we can agree that not one person is to blame for all this. And it's kind of like a little bit, blame should go around a bit more than what any of those people make it whether it's all fsg or all you know club and stuff like that so make me a pie chart and mind you with the new year and especially after this vacation i am starting a diet so this is the closest i'm going to get to a pie hopefully for a long time if this diet sticks around so make it a good one if you can make me a pie chart and give me what's in your mind because everybody this is going to be different for everybody i'm assuming uh like how do you divide it in terms of like the the blame or responsibility of where we're at now? Ah, that's a loaded question. The, uh, I, I think the, the blame pie, the blame pie is definitely an equal serving between FSG and Jurgen Klopp. Cause I think that there is a little bit of both. I, I, I do think that this side should have been strengthened there should have been more investment given to this side in specific areas to Michael's point earlier. We should have replaced the midfield. We've talked about it. Um, this midfield right now is basically just the open section between the offense and the defense. <laughs> and it's a section that other teams populate the ball and take up positions of joy. Like I think if you looked up Liverpool's midfield, it would be just a smiling picture of opponents like um and that's what it would look like cuz that's what happens and where they're at. So sh there should have been a lot of reinforcement. I think there should have been some strategic buys. At the same time, I think Jurgen Klopp really wanted Thiago and I think management said well if you want tiago then like that's the player you get and instead of spending 35 million on maybe a luxury player that kind of fit a piece that may or may not have actually fit they probably should have invested that much money into what would have helped this side actually strengthen a position it needs so i'd say it's probably 60 40 on management we're 40% being manager and players. And I say it that way because the players have to show up and play and they're letting them down right now, whether that's because they don't have legs, whether they can't do it, whether they've stopped listening to the message, I'm not sure. So to me, it's 60% the back office and 40% clop and the players on the pitch. Oh, you made one big slice for everybody. I was thinking maybe you like look like a little sliver or something like that. For 60, the 40. 60, 40. 60, 40. You, you, that's cheating. You didn't make a separate slice. But okay, we'll yeah. take what we can get. And like I say, I'm going to die. And I'll take any freaking pie right now. Uh, so, Michael, make me a pie. <laughs> okay, so we'll go deep dish um, for you. And um, so if anyone was thinking like dessert, I don't, I don't go there. I just go deep dish. So... Um, I'll preface the comment by by saying this is my thought as I had some time in the car <clears throat> um, driving back from uh, Charleston on Sunday night, Saturday night. Um, we're, what, five months removed 
from this squad playing every game possible. Um, so I, I say that because for me, that means two things. So one thing is you're going to be tired coming into the season, right? You played every game possible. You pushed for the title to the last second to last weekend of the season. So every match was a cup final for what, two months straight. So, so there wasn't a lot of squad rotation, you know, and then you go into the world cup, weird summer, all of that stuff. So on one hand, you know, reinforcements, you should have known that they were necessary, um, period. Uh, at the same time, I don't think any of us would have predicted the regression that we've seen of several key players. Like early in the season, I thought, ah, eh, you know, tired legs, tired legs. Well, now, I mean, some players, they suck. I mean, they're playing really, really poorly. And, and, you know, passing to the, I, I think I posted in one of the chats, maybe during the Wolves, the first, the first FA Cup match against the Wolves, you know, Wolves had bright yellow socks and that's where the ball was going, right? It was going from a, from a red sock to a bright yellow sock. And, and so I, I'm, 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 I'd say all of that to say, for me, it's, it's even thirds. It's, it's players, players just are not playing well. They're not thinking they're losing moments of focus and, you know, Allison's goal that he gave up against Wolves, just things like that happening, you know, Matt Tip trying to play out of the back and playing it right to Brighton the other day and putting us in a disadvantage. So, so the players just aren't playing. It's mental, it's physical, it's, it's a whole bunch of things. Um, I think the Klopp element is really, really interesting because, um, you know, he's, he is a stubborn, stubborn man. And he has things that he wants to do. And, and you know, sometimes I feel like square peg, round hole, trying to make things work that necessarily aren't, aren't it's not the right fit. Um, but I think he looked at his squad and, and clearly we all know, he's like, I like what I have. And I don't think he could have even predicted the, the regression here. And then the last part I think goes to FSG, um, who I think has been incredible owners. And we've had an incredibly fortunate shrewd transfer policy over the years but during that process the club worked itself into one of the top five or six most wealthy clubs or valuable clubs in the world so now you want to stay up there you got to spend the money so so i think it's it's split amongst all entities i'm not fsg out i'm fsg spend um i'm not clop out i'm clop be a little more flexible maybe be a little more creative and then I just want the players to play like they can. Um, of course, that might be too much to ask at this point. But I split it into even thirds. Players, yeah, manager, ownership. I like the the split of three. I was probably going to go more, uh, probably like 45, 45, 10, or 40, 40, 20, or something like that. I don't know if that math adds up. But either way, I was going to give a part of it to players because I do feel like a lot are definitely underperforming and we talked about and we bragged about how much leadership was on this team. And I think you guys were talking about the pod last week as well, Gally, that, you know, these are the times where you need those leaders, guys that are, you know, captains of their national teams and stuff to kind of say, Hey, you know, we're not playing our best regardless of who's out there. But like I say, it does affect it. And I know Nick was mentioning it earlier. I think, did we rely a bit too much or maybe overestimate the value of the young guys, you think, Galley? Because when you had, you know, like maybe, I don't know, like Curtis Jones and stuff like that before, when you have a high-performing team and you have 10 players in a form, you put the young kid out there, he looks great because everybody around him is on the high. So are we just being too harsh on, like, guys like Elliot and Carvalho now because they're being – Compared to, you know, Jones being put in a situation where everybody was in form and he looked a lot better the player than maybe he was, or maybe Ox that I always like joke about, like had those opportunities and was performing really well. Whereas now where you have all these people not performing as well. So obviously the young kids sticks out because we're like, well, we know how he can play. Yeah, but he's not playing like that anymore. So making the young kids next to him, not as good. You think we over kind of valued it? That's was mainly a product of everybody else being informed? Short answer, yes. Of course, 
Of course, of course it's yes. I mean, was Joe Gomez really the second best Premier League center back or was he playing next to the best center back in the entire world for about 18 months that just made everything he did look even better? Do I think Gomez at his top prime was really, really good? I sure the heck do. Do I think he was ever England's number one or the way we talked about him when he was next to Virgil in their prime there during the championship run? I don't. I, I, I think it was really, really good football. I think you're always as good as the players around you. Um, you can imagine who that comment is from. It says, oh, great. This was the week I'm off. Galley gives short answers. Says Bickler from causing havoc from Boston over there. Go ahead, Galley. He, he, comes to my te- he comes up to my section of the area of the world and decides it's time to start giving <laughs> shit to me. It's not my fault. The question was longer than my answer was going to be. <laughs> but really what it comes down to is, is Bickler's throwing me completely off? No, I, I, <laughs> that, it's the Bickler effect. Yes, it is the Bickler effect. I, I think what it really comes down to is, is that we have a problem of confidence right now all around the pitch. So whether it's young players or senior veteran players, they're not playing to top form. And I think it all rubs off on each other. And, and, you know, we called ourselves mentality monsters and we act like the form is always what carries us. And I think it takes a lot more than that. And we need some results to come through and we need some of the leadership to follow through, whether that be, you know, Matip or Henderson or Fabinho or Tiago. We need some of the veteran senior players on this side to help carry some of these guys through. And, and, you know, Mo has to carry some of that up front as well, while we don't have any other fit players up in the front. We, we, we really need to have our leadership step up at this point and start to help some of these younger players. Yeah, Darren says, I would like FSU to sell or get investments instead of a protest against the owners. Why not banners and support of club? This is what we need now. Don't bring the toxic attitude into Anfield. And I do agree with that. And that's kind of like the what I wanted to go into next. So there's a lot of chatter about, you know, like – People either blaming Klopp, I feel like to the extreme and uttering the words Klopp out, which makes no sense to me, uh, or just kind of like absolving them of all faults, which makes no sense either, because uh, he is the one, he has made poor decisions in the past as well, because apparently he's human, so he's going to make mistakes and he can be criticized, it is what it is, but one thing I have noticed that finally this last, after Brighton, game and today's press conference before the Wolves game is probably like the first time I've really seen a Michael kind of like take a bit more ownership and admitting that he is at fault. I think what I was most against in the past is you can look at the numbers and see how much we're running and stuff like that. Nowhere close to where we were. And I know he has to stick up for players, but there are times when the players have to be called out or you you can't treat us like we're like five-year-olds. We know what we're watching as well. And it was always an excuse. It was rainy, ball was heavy, glass was tall, uh, his shirt was too red, whatever it was. But now, for the first time, I feel like we are getting some like at middle of faults, like trying different formations that didn't pan out and stuff like that. He's not putting the players in the right positions. Do you think that will bring some change now that's going to be like visible instead of kind of like trotting out the same 11 and hoping for a different result? Yeah, I think it's a good point. I I watched the press conference, the pretty wolves one and, you know, he went on and on a couple times about how, you know, hey, we were we were too wide open. We had huge gaps. We weren't. And he was pointing out the things that we've all seen. Um, and it wasn't one of those days where, you know, like you said, the no, the grass was too wet or, you know, the, the, the stadium lights were, were too bright or some kind of nonsense that sometimes he does put out. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't want to say he sounds broken, um, but he did sound a bit, I mean, he sounded down. Like, um, I, I've tried some of the things that I've tried in the past that have worked, whether that be whether that be tactics or motivation or, you know, training or, or whatever it might be, and, and they're just simply not working. In fact, not just not working, but admittedly, I think he said, didn't he say the, the worst 
match he's coached. Yeah. He, and I don't ever. think that was just at Liverpool, right? That was Not ever was ever yeah, ever right. So so for him to say that, that's that's him translating saying, hey guys, it's it's really really broken. And he even said um, in the presser where he talked about, um, you know, you fix football problems by playing football. And he expects to see a response tomorrow, but he doesn't expect it to be fixed tomorrow. And and he he's indicating that what needs to be done is is going to be a. I mean, it's I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a project. It's now turned into a project, and and that's going to I think involve a, a tactical approach. I think it has to involve a tactical approach that mitigates the deficiencies that we've seen. So. Just boneheaded defensive moments or shape, you know, and 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 it might get boring, you know, kind of like during the Nat Phillips uh, reign, where you know we 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 played some pretty boring, you know, football to get through that year, but got the results. And I, I feel like that's where we're heading. Honestly, um, I'd welcome it at this point um, because we're so exposed. Uh, defensively, you know, many, many times. But I, I think he's got to change it. I think he will. And he kind of alluded to some of that um, in his commentary today, or was that yesterday, whatever day that press conference was. Yeah, like Nick says, how about his refusal to change tactics? What do you have to lose at this point? And he still doesn't change. And I think you know, we've criticized this in the past. And I realize, you know, it's a lot of, it's not a football management game where you just uh, change the formation and click it and like go out and say like stock match or anything like that. I mean, there's a lot of practice to build what you have, the high line and stuff like that, who goes where, areas you cover. There's a lot of like details to that. So it's not as easy to say, well, let's do this. But having said that, you got to be able to change things when you have to have a plan B as we talk about a galley. So after these press conferences, what was your impression? First of all, in terms of like the tone he changed, I know like Jamie says, he's always said, you know, we talked about this on discord too. Like when we do well, it's on the players. And when we play for the fault is on him. He's literally always said that he has said that, but in press conferences after games, kind of like what we talked about earlier, he's managed to find some like really weird excuses. And I know he wants to stick up for his players, but he never said that was on me. I should have come up with a different plan because the grass was tall. He said the grass was tall. Uh, he said like, that's not important. We should still play, but why bring it up if it's not important? So he's used those excuses before. This is the first time, Gally, that I feel like I've heard uh, a more of like an apology in the middle of some shit's got to change. Uh, what do you make of it? First of all, the press conferences. And what do you think he will change? So I don't know what he'll change because he hasn't shown in his seven or eight years here, or as long as I've been really watching him at the top level, he hasn't shown to change much. He's always had a philosophy about football that was about running, about energy, and about work ethic. And I think that that still has to be at the forefront. I think to Nick's point, time is calling for there to be some form of tactical change based on the personnel in which he has. And that might be because of the strengthening. That might be how they bought. Might be how he ran people in and how he didn't rotate as much as we would have maybe liked. But right now, I think what we have left is, is I think there is a level of question around whether or not he'll change the tactical setup around the talent that he has. And I think until we have a squad overhaul, there has to be a slight change to the tactics. And I think we started to hear that in his press conferences, because he's kind of saying the things we have been doing aren't working anymore. The things we were doing have to change. We'll have to look for new ideas and different options. I mean, these aren't things that like the normal confident Jurgen Klopp, we do things our way, the way we do things like we dictate the play. It almost sounds like we're going to have to shift and adapt to what we have. And maybe that's youth. Maybe that's a lack of investment, or maybe that's just waking up after this world cup and realizing this break didn't help us the way we thought it might. Because it feels like they're hitting reset again, which is kind of scary. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, we kind of like expected that. Hey, like so a lot of these guys are gonna get rest. The legs are gonna be back and stuff like that, and it really has not happened. So yeah, Klopp made us all believe again. It's time to believe in Klopp, and I'm all for. I'm not definitely not part of the Klopp out crowd, but I think he does have something to prove now in terms of. He's shown wherever he's gone that he can build a squad and stuff like that and, you know, like really build a team togetherness and all that kind of stuff, instill some values on the field. And to some extent, you know, when we talk about, you know, like some of these guys that have been around too long, potentially probably he's too loyal to these guys and he it kind of goes in both ways, right? You can't be not loyal to the guys and build that team atmosphere. So you got to have find like a fine balance that maybe he's realizing he has to find that balance now. But so Michael, you're a coach. So let me ask you, do some coaching over here. Save us. Stop running marathons and save the goddamn team. Um, what would you, like, what do you think he can change? I mean, obviously the high line is the biggest thing that everybody talks about. Because if you're going to have the high line, you have to have pressure on the ball. I don't care who you have in the back four. They can be the best players in the world in the peak form. If you don't have pressure on the ball, that high line is doomed to fail. Any smart striker is going to beat that line. So that seems to be the most common theme, but what would you change? This is the squad you have. You have the injuries, whatever. You can't suddenly start the ass playing, but what would you change? Yeah, so it's it's <clears throat> as players come back, I, I think when I, I look at um, what we have, and I, I saw Kazi put that in the uh, in the chat as well. You know, I think three in the back is an interesting concept. The problem is we're we're short at center back right now, um, with Virgil out, and I mean Joe Gomez is just a ghost of himself um, right now. So I don't I don't know if I would go to three in the back. Um, I think you you need to to play to the strengths that you have. And then you need to hide your 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 flaws. So right now for us, that is there's no pressure in the midfield. So you need to draw back. You need to get rid of that high line. And you need if you want your midfield to press, they've got to be able to press in just a smaller space. And and right now they're having to press the whole middle third of the field, if not more. And they just can't cover it. They don't have the legs. Um, and then when they turn and go, you look at someone like um, um, uh, Darwin's strength. You know, when Darwin came to Liverpool playing for uh, 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 Benfica, right? I'm drawing a blank. He was so dangerous because they played him in these wide open channels with tons of space. And, and we like to press up high line and get deep in someone's defensive third. I think it kind of negates some of the things that he's able to do. Um, so if it was me, I would sit back. It could be boring, but I would sit back some. I'd probably play with two in the pivot um, and block up that middle. And, and I would try and play in and behind people, which we're not able to right now. So, I, you know, 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, I, I've never been – and, and I've never been stuck in a single formation. I just look at what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, who are your best 11 at the time, and then play to those strengths. For me right now, that's limit the liability that midfield is and open up the channels behind, um, behind their back line and play into those gaps and have people like Darwin or Mo running onto that ball and, and um, playing to their strengths in space. You know, when Salah, the, the frightening, the, the bad thing is Salah used to put fear in people um, when he had the ball at his feet and he was dribbling at him. And it seems like that's not a fear anymore. So I think you got to play, you got to play him in behind where he can look to get him behind those defenders, not necessarily facing up the defenders. Seems to want to just dribble right through him and lose the ball more often than he does something um, um, positive um, in those moments. So sit back. Not necessarily a low block. You're not just going to defend for 90 minutes and just play play long through balls, but a little more compact and and um, and just reduce the liability the midfield is. Yeah, that's so you're going Mourinho on us for the most part, huh? Is that what <laughs> is that what we're doing mostly? Not and not quite so ugly, but the the problem is, and and I know when you do that, then you negate the strength that we have with Trent and and Rabo, you know, on the wings, um, getting into space. But I mean, dang, they gave up 
three in the second half to Brighton and just got sliced to pieces. Um, and, and it points back, I think everybody said it on this pod or on many of the others, starts in the midfield. And for us right now, it's ending in the midfield. And, and that's been the problem because we surrender possessions so easily out of the midfield and we're, we're screwed because there's so much space behind us. I mean, you've seen the comment section right there, which is great to see, by the way. So keep it coming. Uh, but, you know, everybody has like a different concept of like how we can get out of it. And I do agree with like limiting our running, especially because we can't do it. So, Gally, how about you? Like, what would you like to see? I mean, we criticize for not seeing change. And, you know, we can't go back and change things. So we can sit here every week and say we should have strengthened the midfield, but that's not going to get us anywhere. Uh, so you kind of like kind of I, I rather look at what we have now and say, why don't we try this instead? Because you got to have a something else we're trying, whether it's one of the ones in the comment section over here or what Michael is saying. What What is in your mind? Like, what would you rather see? Even if the result is going to be the same, why would, why would you rather say, you know what? I'd rather at least try this. We're going to fail. I've called for the four two three one all along. My my biggest problem is is that is still two of Hendo, Tiago, and Fab in the pivot, and all three of them look like they can't actually do a position right now in the midfield. So I don't know what changes. So, but I, I think my first call is for the four two three one. I wanted to see the four two two, especially now with Nunez out. Like, I think while you have Gakpo and Mo, I think you probably, like, we should have saw that against Brighton, in my opinion. With the exact same starting lineup, we should have saw the 4-2-2 with, uh, well, I mean, I would have had Ox and Kata wide, but if you're going to play it the way you did, you know, you, you have Fab and Hendo in the pivot, you have Tiago and Ox wide, and you play Gakpo and Mo through the middle, and you play the 4-2-2 and you hope to, keep the possession and the width and just go wide with your, with your fullbacks. Um, I think we have a better chance of seeing four, two, three, one, but I think this all comes back to, you know, what I've been calling for, for two and a half, one and a half years on this podcast, which is when Bobby doesn't play, nothing works. And I, I think we see it though. We really, we, <laughs> oh, this is funny coming from you. Now Bobby's valuable to Gally. I see wait. how it is. <laughs> To be fair, I have always been a fan, but I've been critical when he has played poorly and when we were calling him for no reason. But this this is why you need him. You need him more than anything right now. You need him to link up play. You need him to create. You need him to start the defense from the front. And no one else can do the job. And because you don't have him, the 4-3-3 just looks pedestrian. So I think you have to alter your tactics. And if I had a criticism right now, it's, how can we not change tactics when two of the most important players in Virgil and Bobby to make these tactics work aren't there? And that's the thing, I think. I mean, and we were talking about, you know, more earlier. I know you talked about it as well, Gally, and like Michael mentioned. I think one of the things we're not seeing <laughs> – yeah, Bickler is on to you, by the way, uh, your Bobby. I mean, we got to find, I got to go back to our video editor and find all these clips when he was bashing uh, poor Bobby. Not bashing. Right it's no we bashing. We up for him with Bickler, but we'll, we'll find him. It's in the archives. I, I, I save all the files. Uh, but here's the thing. With Mo, I feel like it's kind of like, first of all, in the beginning of the season, we tied him to the linesman by the line over there, so he couldn't do much. Like he was basically just creating space. And I feel like now, Michael, it's kind of like almost slightly unfair because when Mo was there before and we talk about him needing space as well and he could go at people. But I think people were always afraid because you did have another dangerous winger on the other side. And I'm not only talking when Mane was there. This is when Diaz was there. When you right. have Ox on the other side. It's not, I mean, it's a lot easier to say, you know what, we'll worry about that later. Even me, who was asking for more ox appearances, I'm like overdosing on like ox appearances now. It's like enough is enough. That's good. I, I take it all back, kind of thing. I'm like basically the reverse of uh, Galley with Bobby over here. I'm just going to go back to the other side. But, um, what do you think of, you know, like how do we get that attack, or is it just a matter of, kind of playing it safe in the back and then hoping these guys start coming back from injury. Jota apparently is on the way back, but with both Jota and Diaz, I don't think I'm going to be comfortable that they're back until I really see them play two games in a row. Right. 
Well, I think, you know, part of your comment there, you know, kind of in jest with Ox goes back to the commentary on, you know, the young players. And, you know, when, when your world-class players aren't playing world-class, then your, your Oxes, your Cujo, your Elliot, they look pretty pedestrian because, because some of these people aren't addressing, aren't getting as much as attention as they need to. And, and it's, it's unfortunate because there's times where we've all seen someone like Elliot, like, man, he was the man of the match that game. He, he was turning, he had the ball at his feet, he was driving at people, but that's because everyone else was playing well and they had to worry about them, but now they don't have to do that. You know, how do you, how, how do you do this at this point? And, and I, I think, again, for me, I think it gets very um, pragmatic at this point where you look at it and, and we got used to all the beautiful football that Liverpool's played in the last five, six, seven years, right? The hard press, the creative attack, um, you know, beautiful passing and movement. And I think you go, you take a step back, you get pragmatic, you talk about defensive shape, you talk about holding down the midfield, you know, not, not necessarily looking for creativity out of midfield, just good shape and structure and, and blocking uh, passing lanes and to win the ball back. And then you look and you just pay Mo what three eighty a week, and I'm going to pay him because I'm going to I'm going to put him in that channel twelve times this game, um, and I expect him to get something out of it, whether it's uh, scoring one on his own or playing the ball to the back post and Gapko or somebody else coming in and tucking it home. And I I think you get pragmatic. That's that's me right now. I think Liverpool um, needs a string of results more than they need to figure out, you know, what's wrong with Hendo or what's wrong with this guy or that guy. And and for me, that's just going back to basics. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting question moving forward because, I mean, he hinted some changes, so we'll probably see some tomorrow. So at the end of the podcast, we'll probably talk about, like, what we expect to see tomorrow and stuff. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if one of these, like, FSG up people, well, the good times are here for you, uh, maybe, possibly, because it's 2023 is the year of Qatar, apparently, because uh, we have possibly Qatari owners coming over, Galley. I think we've, like, touched on it in the past um, in terms of – a lot of people who could, I, I just find the hypocrisy ridiculous of all the people who were kind of like blaming FSG, criticizing them for not understanding the Liverpool values and, you know, like some of the missteps they took and they had to take back. But then they're really excited about the Qatari ownership where the money is going to be flowing and we're not going to care where it comes from. How will it affect how we approach or like your fandom i mean we're still gonna be fans but how does it approach does it change your expectations does it change your approach how will it change galley will you stop blinking for good what will happen <laughs> all right so first off i think it's been pretty well documented on this podcast in my time i have no conscience and i'm a heathen of all heathens so it is not going to stop me or change the way in which that I support this side. That said, I'll have to research a little bit and I'll hold my nose because I've liked to point a little fun and poke blame at, you know, the city ownership or make fun of PSG. But to Nick's point, um, you know, I've said it before, right? I, I've known the FSG people here a lot longer than all of you. They owned my favorite sports franchise, the Boston Red Sox, long before they came and ruined all of your times at <laughs> Liverpool people. Okay. And when they first showed up, I thought they were worthless. I thought they were stupid. And they signed ridiculous players when I wanted big name players. And two years later, they won a world series. And 20 years later, they've won five of them when no one else has won three. So they've done a really good job. And they've also brought joy and wins to my football club. And I think, honestly, they're going to find a way to make the people in Pittsburgh happy with the Penguins because they touch sports, they invest money, and they usually make it better. When they leave, it's better than when they found it. And I think our football club will be better off when they leave. I do believe oil money is coming because I think that Liverpool is too big at this moment for it not to be purchased by a worldwide fund. And I think this is where football is going. 
And I think we know that if we don't sell, they won't compete. So for all the people out there that say they won't sell to one of these people because they're going to leave this club and they're selling this club somewhere where they think will compete at the top level because that's where they want them to be. And I don't think they care who that is morally. They know that Liverpool will compete for top trophies if they sell to this group. And I think it's genuinely what's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's the issue, right? I mean, Nick is talking about it. It's a money game now. You don't spend, you can't compete. I think years back, you could do more of a team and then kind of like ride it and, you know, focus on maybe a couple of stars, surround them with like the sport group and stuff like that. But the game has changed, uh, Michael, and I think it's mainly due to the ridiculous schedule because now the depth, you have to have like a ridiculous depth to be able to consistently compete. And that takes money or you're going to have, you know, you're going to, it's not, it doesn't work where you like try out a couple of young kids uh, from Liverpool, like to save the day and stuff like that. So how does it, same question that I asked, Gally, I want to ask you, uh, how will it change your approach? And not only like, you know, like your, I mean, like the fan approach, but in terms of like expectations and stuff, because I almost feel like over my time sporting Liverpool all these years, the expectations have not been, I mean, after the glory years, let's face it, like the last, you know, like before we had this club around like the 20 years before, it's been almost like the underdog trying hard, working hard, putting it together. I mean, yeah, we had some stars here and there, but we're never like a huge favorite. And it was part of the appeal in some ways. I feel right. like my expectations would change now knowing, well, you got the freaking money now, so we should be winning everything. Right. Yeah, no, it's. It, I think it's a very valid point. I think a lot of Liverpool supporters that go back over the years took an incredible amount of pride in, in winning, the, winning the right way, right? You know, modest transfer policy, um, you know, not being, you know, decent ownership group that's, that's smart. You know, they spend a little, but they're fiscally responsible. Uh, we want to we wanna promote our, you know, young scouts players from within, give young guys a chance. And all those things are incredibly admirable. And when we were, you know, I don't know if we ever really got to the perch. We won a Premier League title. We won the Champions League. You know, we won an FA Cup. But that core group deserved more trophies than than what we what we were able to bring in. But in those moments, I mean, me, I know I took a little bit of pride in the fact that I could have banter with Man City supporter or Chelsea supporter or or Man United supporter that had spent 2x or 3x you know, was disposing of players left and right that were failed investments. And I, I loved I loved it, right? Now, it's not sustainable unless you continue. And that's where that's where the challenge is. But, you know, the, the thing that's been driving me crazy the last few weeks so much is, um, you know, they've not signed a midfielder, right, since Kata, I think, or was it since, uh, well, all the, anyway, four and a half years since the last official sign of a midfielder, trying to get Curtis Jones, right? He's always the next best thing. He's coming. He's coming. Hold on, everybody. He's coming. Um, so, so that part for me, you know, potential oil money, Qatar ownership. I I feel you know I feel a little dirty when I think about it, and I'll have to eat crow in front of people because now you know all the city support, all the they're all going to turn around and be like, oh, I thought Liverpool was this pristine, you know, oh, we're a club of the people, and and now you have all this money, but the reality is there's money to be made at every turn in this world global game right now. And, and it was inevitable. So you either got to hitch your wagon to someone that's going to allow you to compete, you know, year in year out, or if you want to, you can stay with FSG or some other ownership group and every 10 or 15 years, you know, get the right mix of players that maybe get you a second right on the cusp. And, and it's just the reality of where we're at. I'm not excited about some of the new ownership um, for, for many, many reasons, but the, the club clearly needs investment right now um, to stay at the top of the game. It's a top five club in the world, um, you know, and, and that's where I think we all want them to stay. Yeah, I mean, Nick says the Liverpool way could have worked if they sold the right guys at the right time, like 
Kaf Mosala. I'm not buying that because if this team, if this ownership, and Nick is the last guy to say this, by the way, uh, if this ownership sold Nick, uh, I mean, well, I ownership can sell Nick, I guess, but if the ownership sold Mo uh, over here, it would be like, we shouldn't be a selling club. We should be a buying club would be the line. So don't give me yep. that. Don't give me that. Don't yep. talk like, don't give me the Monday morning quarterback crap because I'm not buying that. I don't think, I, I think it's just time to be honest about the fact that this is not sustainable for a long time. But Gally, what I want to ask you is, you know, Huge spend doesn't always equal success, says Mateusz, our Polish prince over here. Still need the right personnel in the right places. So when it's when we talk about personnel, and this is where I kind of want to come back to the club conversation, circle back. Do you feel like Klopp is the right guy? Because Klopp is a perfect guy for the Liverpool way we're talking about. But is he, Gally, the perfect guy in terms of we always talk about how you like small squads and stuff. And obviously, when you have a lot of money, you will be spending on a deeper bench and more quality. It's going to be more city-like. Hopefully not Chelsea-like where we're just throwing away money and then just like keep selling people. But do you think he's the right guy for that way? That's not the Liverpool way. I think Jurgen Klopp is the right guy, period. Because I don't want to envision a world where he's not the manager. I know there's going to be a world where he isn't the manager, right? So, and the reason I say this is, is I think there's this idea that if you criticize Jurgen Klopp, you're automatically not supporting him, right? And I think that's ridiculous. I think questioning his tactics, questioning his rotation, questioning you know, even somehow why he puts out the players he does or doesn't make certain decisions within or work with players to bring in, you know, new blood and his loyalty. I think that's all fair. I think that's what happens when you have a manager or a person in your life for seven or eight years, right? It's like a relationship. You have ups and downs. You get happy with them. You get frustrated with them. But the good times always outweigh the the bad when you have a guy like Jurgen Klopp. So again, I'm not going to say I, I, I can see a day where it's better with him not here. What I will say is this. I'm worried that with new ownership will bring new ideas and a new plan. And I don't know that Jurgen Klopp seems like the type of guy that would go down a, a, a new plan. So for me, I think we should really enjoy all this time that we have with him. Because I think it's like a year, year and a half, maybe two tops. I know he has two and a half more in his contract. I'm not sure he sees the end of this because I think there'll be a point where he just kind of walks on his own and just says goodbye, goodnight, the lights, and like kind of says goodbye to all of us. And I think for that, it's kind of where I look at it. How about you, Michael? Because, I mean, when we talk about his strengths and weaknesses, you know, we talk about it a lot, Gally, on this podcast, too. I mean, you know, like his weakness has always been like the death, uh, you know, using the subs, uh, you know, handling a large squad and stuff like that. And obviously handling, I mean, his strength has been getting more out of less, uh, getting the most out of players maybe another coach would not. Whereas with the money, it's more about, I guess, I don't have, a doubt that he would get the right players like Darren is talking about if money comes club will spend it wisely I just don't know if he would I think he would get the players that really fit his system so I think he can still instill like the system like you know Gally's referring to he might not need a plan B then because he will have the right guys and the likes to do it but do you feel he would be able to manage a large squad and I, it's a totally different kind of management when we compare you know we compare Klopp and Pep in the past and we've said you know Pep can do this Klopp can do that yeah I think it's a valid point I think what would happen if Klopp <clears throat> were still the manager with an ownership group that was more willing to spend. I think what you'd look at is squad depth of, of Klopp type players. So rather than kind of fingers crossed and hoping that, you know, youngsters might be your, your second man up, your next man up. Now it's going to be a, a, someone that's got a, a proven history, not, not, um, you know, I, I would never see him, you know, all the jokes about someone like uh, Mbappe coming to Liverpool, right? I I can't see Klopp being happy managing a player like Mbappe. 
Um, that that type of a diva, prima donna. I mean, he's very, very good. Probably would welcome the goals and and all of those things. But he just doesn't seem like a a Klopp player, right? So I think the squad would expand. And but I I don't think I think it'd be more looking at. Um, you know, you, hopefully they get one or two world-class players like a Jude Bellingham or something like that. But I think it'd be that that squad depth would be bolstered, right? Instead of youngsters hoping they break through or veterans on their last leg like Milner, you know, God bless him. He's been fantastic. Um, but when that's your answer to squad depth, that leaves you where we're at right now. Um, I, think, I think he could still manage for a, a well-backed, club um as long as he can get the right type of players in if it turned into a situation like chelsea just signing the the new shiny toy i think he'd get frustrated and probably just leave right i signing players for the sake of signing players not his thing but signing the right players i think he would be okay with I agree. I mean, I would be. It would be an interesting experiment to watch. That's for sure. Like yeah. to see how he does it, and would he just create like an even more ridiculous team, like everybody expects, or will he struggle with that uh, right. personnel management part? We will see. But before right. that, Gally, what will we see tomorrow? Because he mentioned that we would still go in. Because I know you guys were like talking about it last week. Like, do we? Like we went all in one time. Do we do it again in the FA Cup thing? Because I don't think any of us really expected us to go full force. And that was more we assumed it was to build momentum and stuff. I guess you can look at this one that way too. But he did also mention that not everybody who played the weekend will be able to go again. What kind of a lineup do you expect to see tomorrow, Gary? I hope there's some rotation. I mean, I, I think I said it earlier. If, if, uh, if Fabio Carvalho can't play in a third round replay in the FA cup against wolves. Why did you sign him? Like literally what's he on the team for? Cause if not send him out on loan and let him go play somewhere else. Like that, that's one for me that has to play. Obviously I think Costas will play. I think Gomez will play. Um, you know, I really hope Kelleher plays, because after Ali's howler against Wolves in the first round, it would be hard to tell the kid you're not playing. But I guess Klopp already said he's not really going to play. So I, I think it might be Ali. Um, I think the Bastion kid, if he can play, plays. But it's, I don't know. I don't think there'll be enough rotation, to be honest. How about you, Michael? What do you expect to see in terms of lineup? Yeah, I, 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 I'm with Galley. I mean, I'd like to see some rotation, but really, what are the levers right now that that can be pulled outside of just saying, you know what, we're just going all youth, you know, bringing in a bunch of new bodies and saying screw it. Um, so, which I don't think, I don't think he'll do. Yeah, I don't think he'll do it though. Um, but yes, I, I, I think a couple people are coming back possibly. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know. I think his comment on Nunez was he's he's close. Um, but that tells me he's probably not going to be in the first 11. Maybe maybe he's a cameo at the end or something like that. Um, I think you, you put Gapko. I'd love to see a 4-4-2 tomorrow. Gapko and Mo up top. Um, and, and just pack your midfield and just try and survive and snatch something and be done. Um, I hate I hate the old, you know, ah, if we drop out of the FA Cup, that's one less match you got to worry about and all that kind of stuff. But we're so thin. We're so thin right now. Um, and I, I have to imagine it's an early exit um, from the Champions League as well. So um, we'll be able to focus on on just, just the Premier League and finish in sixth. <laughs> Okay, Michael, first of all, if I want to doom and gloom, I connect to freaking Boston and get Bickler on here. <laughs> well, I, wanted to, I wanted to, I was trying to channel, I was actually going to leave with that when you said earlier that Bickler's not here and Michael's here. I was like, I can play that role um, <laughs> on some topics, on some topics, but I'm not yeah, always in shape to be a Bickler. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, score prediction time. Yali, what is going to happen tomorrow? Should we just sleep in and not see this thing? Sleep all day and not see this thing. I hate to say this. I think it's going to be 1-1. We'll go to penalties. You pick the winner. 
But I, I genuinely think it, it's miserable like everything else this campaign. The only thing that could happen is a little extra football. So, okay, let me ask you this real quick. If the season ends, we're, we've got this doom day theory that freaking Michael has thrown into the universe here. Uh, uh, you know, out of the Champions League, sixth or seventh or whatever the season, and we win the FA Cup, how would you look back at this year? Will it change how you look back at the year? Or is it the no. same as not winning the FA Cup? No, I, 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 will I be excited on FA Cup final Sunday or Saturday? Absolutely. We won the fucking FA Cup. We won a trophy. I'll be goddamn happy. I'll dance around in a pub. I'll drink. I'll get crazy. I'll yell. I'll talk a lot. I'll lose my voice. It'll be like any other time we make a match day final. Or it but, just sounds like any day that you're at the bar, but okay. <laughs> all right. So it was supposed to be a match day final. Who brought, who brought the Turkish guy, Michael? Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I just... Yes, I'll be excited, but I will I look at it as a success coming off a year where we almost went for the quadruple and we thought we were coming back to challenge for the, the league again and we signed a 90 million pound striker and, and got all excited about where we were going and Diaz coming back for a full year and no, no, this is this is colossal failure, people. This is colossal failure right now. Cause cause right now we know we will not be competing come the end of this season for high honors. Which means this whole year was a failure and it's freaking January 16th. I mean... Have some faith, people. No, I, I, I'm lost by faith as well, but I hear you. I hear you. How about you, Michael? Score prediction. Well, I, 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 I was going to say 1-1 one, one, and then we pull it out in penalties. That's what I was going to say before Galley came and gave his prediction. Um, I'm probably going to stick with that. I feel like I should change it just to be different. Um but um, I, uh, that's what I see. The only thing that I, I would say, you know, when we played Wolves, we literally gifted them one and a half goals. Um, they, they didn't really generate, you know, a ton. Um, so I'll hang my hat on that. They'll score first. We'll score somewhere around the 67th minute. Um, and then, and then we should win it in regular time. But I don't think we're going to. And it'll go to penalties. But we will advance. I like I like how they say how Michael says we we uh, gifted them one and a half goals, and VAR took one away, and that VAR <laughs> yeah. thing doesn't even fucking exist because that thing was the that was almost as bad of a call as taking that or as granting that goal goal for United against City, like it's almost as egregious of a mistake of calling that a goal against City as it was taking the goal against us away. I mean, really. So we're yeah, really lucky to even be playing in this thing. New yeah. offside rules. I, I'm in big protest over here. It does. I know like the rule is that, but it's just, it should not be. Time to change that shit. I am actually, you know what? Bringing sexy back. Bringing the optimism back over here, people. We're going to win tomorrow. It's going to be one of those games that we play actually well, where Liverpool teases you, and you're like, are they back? And then we're just going to come back to Earth uh, later on, I think. But I do expect us to win tomorrow. I'll go with a 3-1 win. God damn it, somebody has to throw some optimism out there. I go with a 3-1 win just because uh, Wolves has trouble scoring, and I don't think we gift them this time. I'm hoping we do uh afterwards you know advance the fa cup i mean i like i kind of like you're saying galley it would be silverware at least we, i mean we had it we were chasing a quad and we came up with two trophies and we were like oh it was a double so i would still take the fa cup and it would make it less still a failure of a year like you're saying galley i agree to that i mean with the expectations being there after like chasing Correct. the quad, but yeah it would be something uh I, I might just dance around with you at the bar as well i guess yeah can you guys talk about the offside? If you go by the letter, then it's okay. Yeah, that's a whole. If I dive into that as a center back over here, I will smash that offside rule. That makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, we might, I we feel might like honestly, we might still be here at the end. We'll be doing a post match show tomorrow after the Wolves match if we get Timuchin going right now on that offside <laughs> rule. Um, key is this I, I will answer for the viewer. If there's a chance that it can be ruled as offside, Timuchin believes it's offside. <laughs> if you thought about moving towards the ball, if you use kinetic, if you use any movement, you even use like the force 
to move a blade yeah. of grass toward the ball. Tamuchin thinks it's offsides, thinks the flag should have went up well before you even took a step, so he does not even have to think any longer. It is how it should be known. And God damn it, as a center back, if you're making the defender move, look, act differently in any freaking way, you are in the play and you should be off. That's the way exactly. I look at it, and that's how we should be. I'll get to it. I'll work with FIFA. If anybody has some envelopes, we can pass around to get this fucking going through. Hopefully, that's all it will take. Well, gentlemen, thanks a lot as always. Michael, thanks for hopping on. Appreciate it. And Thank thanks you. to all those commenting today. Really love the feedback today. Give us a like, share, and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, the morning show should be back next week with a new time and stuff. So we'll make an announcement on that. But the boys will be back on Thursday. So definitely tune in for that. And then maybe we will do that post-match tomorrow after we win 3-1. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a great week. Take care. Thanks all.